So, the Joseph in the last week's Parsha is in jail. He's in the pit. He's in, he's not in solitary because he's speaking to the butler and the baker. Once he's interpreted the Tsar Hamashka, the butler's dream, he tells the butler in verse 13, chapter 40 of Genesis, but old Shloshes Yomim in another three days. Yisopares Roshecha, Pharaoh will restore you, Al Kanecha, to your original office. Venosata Kos Paro Biodo. Kos Paro. That's the third time Joseph mentions the word Kos Paro, uh, prompting the Midrash to say that isn't just about the butler, but it's about the three cups of toasting that we will have from Jewish history, the last being the Mashiach, will be toasting the Kos Paro. And then this verse that's triggered commentators, theologians, philosophers, and masters of Hasidus. Ki im zechartani itcha. Ki im, doesn't make sense because that is a conditional clause. Ki im, if zechartani itcha, but it should say, may you have my memory with you. Kashe yitavloch, when things go well for you and you get out of jail, Please do me a toiva. Give me, give me some payback. What is that? The his kartani el paro. Mention me to Pharaoh. Now those two words, even though they're etymologically identical, they have different semantic meanings. Ki im zechartani Would you please keep me in your memory bank? And then, the his karatani in the hifil, would you please make mention of me? Memory and making mention, el paro. So that, the vov is conditional, so that he will bring me out, min from this terrible place. And then he tries to rationalize it. Kiguno gudafti me'eretz ha'ivrim, I was kidnapped. The Gampolo Sisipuma, and even with Potiphar's wife, I did nothing. Kisoma Osibabor, and they put me in the bore. Notice the word bore as a reflection of the bore back in Canaan. Here he calls the prison the bore. So it's a double bore. Okay, and then in the beginning of our Pasha, the very first verse, Vayehi Mikates Shnataim Yomim. Very unusual expression. It should have said, Shnei Shanim. What's Shnataim Yamim? It implies that it's two aliquots of Shona. It's Shnataim. So it's a single year plus another year. Yamim is often considered years in biblical Hebrew. Uparacholeim and etc., etc., etc. Now let's go just look at these verses to understand what's triggering everyone's ire. The problem is the Zahartani Itcha. Vasiso no imodi chesed. That's already bothering the rabbis. Because later on, by Paro, when Paro asks him to interpret his dreams, he says, Vasis elokim chesed. I can only interpret with the advice of the Lord, with the invitation, with the consent. Because this is the first time in the history of the Bible 
that anyone has used dream interpretation as an oracle, as a divine source of predicting the future. Of course, this isn't the first time in the ancient Near East, but this is the first time in the narrative Bible. And so some of the commentators said he was punished because he didn't say Vaasa Elokim Imodiv here. Vaasa Elokim Imodi Chesed. You're not the, you're not going to be doing Chesed. It's God that does the Chesed. You're just the apostle, the messenger, the trigger that will allow the divine Chesed. And so Joseph has to be punished. And what is his punishment? So we're told that he was 17 years old when his brothers kidnapped him. And let's assume he ended up in Egypt that year. That gives us a total of 13 years until he becomes the Shani Leparo, the Shani for the Malchus. That is, his release is two years after he had interpreted the dreams of the baker. And so we can work out that from Seder Olam Rabbah and Pichad Rabbah and Shmos Rabbah, very late, he spent 12 years in jail, meaning he was 18 years old when he was denounced by Potiphar, having only served Potiphar a year. So he was in prison for 10 years, according to Pirkei de Rebeleza. So he was 20 when he was denounced. Potiphar, he had served for three years, according to Pirkei de Rebeleza. But in all these cases, another two years, he's added to his sentence, which is the title of my talk. He got another two years for bad behavior. But the bad behavior was not in jail because of what he did wrong there. It was a divine punishment which then gets us to Vayehi Miket Shnosayim. He's in jail for 10, 12 years. What's he doing, Vayehi Miket Shnosayim? Oh, it's the two years that are separate from his other sentence because he had to serve that and only then Uparo Cholem. It could have been that Kara has been sent this dream two years earlier. No, he had to wait another two years for, for Joseph to serve his sentence. Now, I don't want to go into the Kabbalistic notions of when the full complement of the Sefirot had to be fixed in Egypt. And as our rabbi keeps telling us, we had to extract all the Netsutos Haktoshus from Egypt and it wasn't time. So we needed another two years so that Benjamin would come to fill the Yud Shvatim, which is the Yud Gimel Midos plus Torah Emes of Yaakov. Let's leave that aside and just just struggle today for a change with the rational theological problem of, uh, of this. And what is the problem? The problem is that he had asked the butler for his help. Well, what's wrong with that? He's punished with the two additional years in prison. And Rashi, based on the Medrash, which I have to share with you, because the Medrash is the one that points out that there was a problem with him asking the butler. And the Medrash says, Ashrei hageve asher som Adonai miftacho. A verse from Psalm 40. Happy is the man who has made Hashem his trust. And the Medrash then says, happy is the man, Ze Yosef. Really? That's Yosef. Well... And he did not turn, and he turned not to the arrogant. Arrogant means those in high places. 
like the butler. He didn't turn to the arrogant, according to this medrash, meaning he, em he embodied the ideal of trusting in God, his bitachon, he puts in God, Ze Yosef. And the end of the Posuk, Velo Pana El Rehabim, he didn't turn to the arrogant Al Because he said to the Chamberlain of the cupbearers, if only you would think of me and mention me uh, to Pharaoh. And because he did that, two years were added to his incarceration. It doesn't make sense. And so the Radak and the Eitz Yosef say there's a problem with this medrash in the manuscript. It means exactly the opposite. Happy is the man who puts his trust in God. Ze Yosef, halavai, that would be Joseph. Velopona el rechavim. Halavai, he wouldn't have turned to the butler and put his faith in God. Because, because he said to the butler, would you please remember me? He was given an added two years sentence. Now, we have a big problem with this because Yaakov did that. Yaakov uh, sent messengers to Esau. Yaakov prepared. Why didn't he just trust in God? What did he have to go and do all the milchoma and the tefillah and the davening and all the uh, preparations, separating the kids, getting an army together to sending him gifts? I mean, other people have done that. Why is it that we're asking Joseph specifically and we're punishing him for two added years of incarceration because <laughs> he did a bit of hishtadlus. That's the word we have to talk about. Hishtadlus. Hishtadlan. What is hishtadlus? The difficulty with our midrash is apparent. It holds up a Joseph as the paragon of bitachon, and yet, in the very same breath, it says Yosef was punished severely. And um, the question is, why such a reproach? It's a startling reproach for Yosef the Tzaddik. So the Torah tells us to take action, and then God will bless our work. Because it says in Devarim, God will bless you in all that you do, meaning you have to do something. He'll bless you if you do something. It's not if you do nothing. You have to do something. That's called hishtadlus. And the answer lies in the basic concept of bitachon. And I want to quote to you from the Chazonish because I think it's very important to quote him since he wrote this after the war. And so for me, in terms of the great luminaries of post-war Europe who have survived outside America, the Chazonish stands as one of the great luminaries accepted by the entire world, both the right-wing, the left-wing, the modern, the orthodox, everyone accepts the Chazonish. Uh, not everyone accepts his, um, his Piske Alacha, he was very strict, but certainly his book, Emuna Upitachon, uh, which is only a small, you can read it in a couple of hours, it's 40 pages. I read it when I was in yeshiva, not age 19, and it is basically the classical, traditional uh, Jewish theological approach to Emunah Bitachon. And I'm sure because he was always involved in halacha and learning and perish on Shas, 
I'm sure he took time off, precious time off, because he felt that our generation needed that kind of uh, response to the 20th century because he had seen so much devastation around him. And so in that, the fourth chapter of that Sefer, that very small Sefer, is entitled Joseph and looks at this particular issue of the spectrum between Hishtadlus and Bitachon. The book is called Emuna and Bitachon. I once read that the definition of Emuna is I get on a plane and I have faith in God. And I believe that God is providential and he is going to take care of me and take care of this plane. And when I sit on the plane, I start having a panic attack. I'm 30,000 feet in the high, in the sky. I don't know if any of, you, any of you have had that during turbulence. And it starts getting turbulent. And I start freaking out. I know my sister does. She takes a Valium every time she gets on a plane. But I definitely start getting a little bit panicky if the turbulence is bad in the mid-Atlantic, as is won't. That is bitachon. Emuna is, yes, I believe, I believe, and it runs the world and providence, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitachon is the degree that emuna filters down into my bitachon. I hate the word faith. That's a Christian word. Faith. I have faith in the Constitution of the United States. That's not bitachon. Bitachon is more like trust and that is the difference between emuna and bitachon. I'm on the plane, I definitely believe, but, you know, it hasn't filtered down. So the Chazonish says that not everyone's bitachon is at the same level. The average Joe, the man of bitachon, when confronted with a seemingly hopeless situation, might lose himself and become despondent and despair. A man of stronger bitachon will manage to remain calm and secure on the plane <laughs> despite his plight. Notwithstanding that, the Chazonish says, we are allowed to undertake endeavors to our needs. That's called Hishtadlus, as cited from the verse in Deuteronomy. You have to do, you have to steig, you have to, you have to go out, you have to try. There's a story of the Baal Shem Tov that um, he was in Mezhibush before he became famous and it was Erev Shabbos and he had no food. Okay. So he goes downtown to Mezhibush and he knocks on the Gvir's door, rich man. And once he knocks on the door, he's off, he leaves. The guy opens the door and he chases after him. And he said, I see you're a poor man. Why didn't you wait till I opened the bloody door? What'd you run away for? So the Baal Shem HaKadosh says, Sir, the Rabbi Shlolem gives me my Shabbos food. I, it says, You have to do something. You have to have a Hishtadlus. So I got out in the cold. I went downtown to the village, knocked on your door. That's my Hishtadlus. The rest is taken care of, sir. I didn't come here for your money. I thought it was a brilliant notion. And I wanted to interject that <laughs> because I'm quoting all these litfucks today. The Chazonish. And now I'm going to quote the Beis Halevi, Soloveitchik, 
who writes in his parish on the Torah, on this Pasuk, that the, and this is his Chiddush, that this Tase, this Hishtadlus that we do is the trigger to facilitate the Bitachon, meaning through the Hishtadlus, we will feel that there is sufficient natural expectation of success, which will allow us to feel confident that God will bless our efforts. You have to hear that. It's very subtle. It's very brisk. <laughs> there's, no, there's no mysticism here. There's no shefa coming down from the divine that I'll talk about in a minute. This is a highly rational, thought-out theology, okay? So why do I need Hishtadlus if God is providential? Let him take care of me. No. The Briskarov says, I need it so that I can feel. It's all in the eyes of the beholder. It's all about the receiver. I'm at the receiving end of divine grace. Well, I need to feel that. How do I feel it? I have to feel through my endeavor, a confidence that he will bless my efforts. He's medayek on the bracha. How do I get that bracha? It's a psychological trick by doing the taseh. Of course he's responsible for everything, the briskarov says. But I have to appreciate that. And that's through the taseh. So since the endeavor was permitted only so that I can feel at ease with bitachon, the amount of endeavor allowed varies from person to person. For the Baal Shema Kodesh, it's just knocking on the door. He doesn't need to do more to him feeling that he's done his tishtadlus. A man with little bitachon requires more endeavor. He's got to work 16 hours a day like I do to feel that because I lack the bitachon. Someone who possesses a high level of bitachon is permitted only to engage in the bare amount. Tell the butler, please remember me. That's it. That's it. Nothing more. For him to engage in additional endeavors, you're doing chesed for me? You've missed the point, Joe. You've missed the point of this whole Hishtadlus. The whole Hishtadlus was only to you to feel the divine providence. And to that extent, you're punished. He was punished for his minimal endeavor of seeking help. Now, this is the rational approach by these rational masters to Emuna and Bitachon, because they have to struggle with the conflict. There's a philosophical conundrum. Uh, and so the Chazonish comes out and says, before engaging in Bitachon, I have to engage in Hishtadlus because that becomes the litmus test of my Bitachon. Get it? It's the litmus test, the Hishtadlus, the degree to which I feel needing to go out into the world to do stuff, to get and feel the divine providence is my litmus test. It's very nice. It's brilliant. But it leaves me cold. I don't know about you. So I have to go to the Hasidic masters. You know, there's a joke about a devout woman who refused to leave her flood-besieged home uh, in her car or her boat or a helicopter that the authority sent her way. She refused to accept human beneficence. 
and was content to put all her faith in God. When she, in fact, died, she came up to the heavens and approached God, demanding to know why he didn't honor her faith. <laughs> and as you know, the famous joke, he says, what are you talking about? I sent you a car. I sent you a boat. I even sent you a helicopter. What more did you want from me? <laughs> so when we fall on hard times and pray to God for intervention, are we allowed to just sit back and wait for salvation to arrive? And now in the Hasidic realm of mystical thought, we have a complete spectrum. On the one hand are the quietists. Rachel Elior has written a whole book on Hasidic pietistic quietism, meaning I don't have to do anything. My Hishtadlus is connecting in Dvekas with the divine. He'll take care of everything. The most extreme example is Reb Chaim Chaikel of Amdur. This is his Sefer. And in this Sefer, it was, I got the Varsha reprint, but it was originally pr printed uh, in the 1790s. Amdur was a town full of Litvaks. A lot of great Gedolim from Lita lived in Amdur. And there was a great, great anti-Hasidic at the turn of the century in 1800 against the, the, the Hasidic new cult, especially in Amdur. And Reb Chaim Chaikel told his Hasidim, do nothing. Don't respond. Don't fight back, because there were really fisticuffs going on in those days in these towns. He said nothing. Believe in Hashem. So what was wrong for Joseph to ask for the butler's help? And I want to quote from Reb Zisha. And Reb Zisha is the brother of Reb Melech. They're both Talmidim Mufakim of the Maggid of Mezrich. So the, so the, tra tra the tradition goes, Baal Shem Tov, Maggid of Mezrich, and he's got 200 pupils, the oldest being the Kedusha Slavi, the youngest being the Alter Rebbe. Somewhere in the middle are the brothers, Reb Melech and Reb Zisha. There are only five Rebbes called the Rebbe Reb. These are two of them. The Rebbe Reb Melech, and the Rebbe Reb Zisha, that is, Rebbe's would go to them like a Rebbe. That's why they got the title, the Rebbe Reb Shmelka, the Rebbe Reb Binim. There are only five in the history of Hasidus who are so uh, in tune with Devekas and the divine and prophetic spirit that other Rebbe's would go to them. And the Rebbe of Zisha was totally different to the Rebbe Melech. Rebbe Melech wrote voluminously. The Noimeli Melech is considered the Sefer Shel Chasidim. The Balatanya's book, the Tanya, is called the Sefer Shel Beinonim. And the Kutim Iran is called the Sefer Shel Rishohim. That's where I belong. These three Sephorim approach Hasidus in totally different ways. When you read the Noyim Elimelech, you just say, oh my God, this is way beyond my level. I understand what he's saying, but it's for Tzadikim, not for me. And his brother, Reb Zisha, writes nothing. So everything I'm reading to you from Menorah Tazahav are other Rebbes who wrote in the name of Reb Zisha. One of them is Apostle in Baharsh's Bahar. V'chi Toman, if you say, Ma nochel bashona hashviyas. Excuse me, I haven't planted in the sixth year. What am I going to eat on the seventh year? I'll have nothing from my produce. Let's see. So God says, stop worrying. I'll take care of you. You'll have a double portion in the Shemitah. So Rebzisha, it says, 
Nothing in the Torah is redundant. What do I need you to tell me in the Torah? Just go and save the Tzivisias Birchasi Lochem. The Torah could have just said without that inverted commas. And if you start complaining and belly aching to me on the seventh, forget about that. Just say, you know what? And on the seventh year, I'm going to give you a double portion. Have no fears. So, Reb Zisha, well, not him, but a Rebbe said in his name, A very mystical idea that when God created the world, he created it outside time. And in this cyclical, mystical world, everything keeps recycling every year and every moment. When I'm saying that in my davening, I need to say, because if I didn't, the world would collapse. I recreate every moment in time. And every moment in time, there are these pipes coming through the 10 spheres of shefa, of divine energy that animate the spiritual and physical world as it comes down. And the Rebzisha, the Heiliger Rebzisha says, those pipes are open. They're open all the time. Oh, really? So why do bad things happen to me? Ah. But when a person falls from his madrega, now in Hasidic terms, that doesn't mean you're a naughty boy. That that's that's understood. We're only human. No for me madre gosso means a low beta chong. Look how he looks at it differently to the Chazonish. He doesn't have bitachon beboyrech who mashgiach who providentially looks over him. He falls from that madrega. Means he doesn't feel that sense. Ha'amiti, that Hamashgiach Ha'amiti, the real provider of providence. He gives to all of us with Revach and Beli Hefsek. He doesn't feel that cloud. It's all in the head. It's not about works. It's not about Hishtadlus. Here, Rabzisha is talking about Bitachon. Someone came to the Maggid complaining that he was going poor and, he, and he's davening and davening and davening and he's still complaining. He says, why don't you go to the forest? There's a hut in the forest. I think I told you this many times. And just knock on the door. So the guy goes, wow, what do you want from me? Go to the forest. So he goes to the forest in the Ukraine and he sees a hut and he knocks on the door and an old man opens his, come in and there's just a table, a chair and a bed and one potato and a candle. He says, come in, let me share with you some my potato. He says, I don't know why I'm here. He says, the Maggid sent me to you. Aren't you Reb Zisha? He said, yeah, I'm Zisha. He said, he sent me to you because I had a problem with Bitachon. I have a problem because I, I'm not getting what I deserve in life and I've been davening and I have Bonnei Chaim Azoyne, I've got a feed and... Do you have problems? He said, so Reb Zisha says, problems? <laughs> he doesn't have a fireplace. He doesn't have nothing. No running water. Problems? I don't have any problems. The Yebishter takes full care of me. And that's when he realized why the Maggid was sending him to Reb Zisha. That's who Reb Zisha was, right? 
in the annals of Hasidic law, he is the paradigm of bitachon. And because you lacked that bitachon, oz oseha odom b'machshavtahu pagam chalila. Everything is occurring in your head. Because you don't feel that bitachon properly, you caused a pagam in your bitachon. There is a flaw in your uh, bitachon. Va'oz, and what, had, what, is, what is the consequence of you? Just, the the briskarov would shudder if he heard this. The consequence of my lack of bitachon has consequences upstairs because my neshama is upstairs. There is a pipe that goes directly from the within me all the way up to the So if I have a pagam up down here, it is matish koach bapamalya shelmala. I cause a weakening of the divine shefer through my lack of bitachon. The oz nifsak hashefer cholila, and that causes a plug in the pipes. The tzorach hashem yisparach letzavus mechadosh hashefer. So now God has to recreate the world for me. He has to recreate a new pipe, a new connection to me, because I stummed, stymied up, I plugged up the original pipe. The zehu v'chisomru. So that's why it's so brilliant. Spiritual interpretation. What do I need that redundance in if you say? The Torah is teaching us Hashem, the ways of the divine. I'm teaching you not to say this. I'm putting it in the Torah, and should you say, I don't want you to say, but if you say it, then what? Uh, you will force me. It's so brilliant. You will force me to recreate the world. If you lack the bitachon and you start questioning the divine, you're going to cause a complete upset upstairs. And the original flow that was meant to come down has stopped. And now I'm going to have to command the whole uh, quantum mechanics to start again and the re-entanglement of the universe so that I can get down to you and reach you with my bracha. You're going to bother me. You're going to cause me problems. So this whole concept of the Shemitah in Pasha's Bihar becomes a template of bitachon for Reb Zisha, which I think is a beautiful balance to someone like myself who struggles with emuna and bitachon in a post-Holocaust vein, because how does one recreate, you know, v'chitomar, this is on a national scale. The Chitoma, I mean, every person who is a thinking Yid should be saying, the Chitoma Bilvavachem. What happened? Where were you? What happened to the pipes that allowed such a complete catastrophe in the 20th century and so much death and genocide and nuclear holocaust? <laughs> Hello? What happened? The Chitoma. 
How could I not have that questioning of bitachon? Vitzi visi. So the way I would interpret the Heiliger Reb Zishi is that we absolutely need vitzi visi as birchosi. We all need a new recreation, as Simon Weil says, that the purpose of creation was to connect. And the 10 plagues was a decreation. We've had a decreation in the 20th century of everything that creation, the beautiful 10 ma'amarot of creation, were decreated by the 10 plagues. And then Harsinai became a re-evaluation and a moral recreation of the 10 plagues in the Aceres Hadibros, which I think through the Galut of history were decreated. And so the time has come, whether you believe in Mashiach or you believe in the Kates of Hanukkah and the darkness of Zoyz Hanukkah, that the light is, has to be, that we need a recreation of light, a reinterpretation, a, a new Torah, Mizmo Shir, Shir Chadash, a new Torah, as Shlomo always said, so that we can welcome the future uh, with the new tools of Bitachon. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.